Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! You're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underground and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. Welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams got a lot to cover once again for you. Even though it's the offseason, like I say every week, we have so much stuff to cover through the next you know, several months of no actual football to cover. Although, G-Day is just around the corner. We only got about two weeks, uh, just about two and a half weeks maybe, till G-Day. So everybody's getting ready for that. But we are going to continue our position breakdowns. Um, as we go through the offseason, I think we're looking at inside linebacker. Remember, we did cover outside linebacker uh, a while back, so we are doing inside linebacker specifically today. Um, got some stuff to cover. As you can see, the title, we are going to get to that very quickly. And then we got King of the Hill, and if we have some time, we got some other stuff we can mix in as well. So let's jump straight into it. Odds makers have come out, Jonathan, and have Georgia as a plus 240 favorite for the national championship. So they odds makers and, and betters in Vegas right now are betting on Georgia to go three-peat, which is something that nobody has done in a extremely long time. Uh, nobody's done it in, in the college football playoff era. It, it's something that's just not even thought of in the college football playoff era. But as you can see with the title, you know I were talking about it, Georgia football on the verge of GOAT status. Talk to me about that. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, championships, you know, we got the wall of championships sitting here behind me. We got the Georgia champions. We got the World Series champions a couple years ago, and we get another homage to the Georgia championship. So the state of Georgia is flooded with championships as of late, and especially the University of Georgia winning back-to-back titles, first time in cultural playoff history, first time since Alabama did it, and I believe it's 2010 and 2011. And now you're talking about going for a three-peat. And you mentioned it. You hit the nail right on the head. A three-peat in college football is extremely rare. The last time it happened was Minnesota in the 1930s. It's been that long. College football has been around for a very, very, very long time. No team has ever three-peated as champions. Not even teams as, you know, there's there's like co-champions way back when where teams like kind of shared a championship, depending on how polls were voted out at the end of the thing, at the end of the seasons and whatnot. No one has ever done it other than Minnesota. And at that point, you can almost say that no one has really ever done it in college football. In fact, it's not just a rarity in college football either, Stoddard. It's a rarity across all sports. I mean, I'll just go ahead and break this down for I did some digging because I wanted to know, how often do teams three man ever in any y'all. sport? You know I me. Mean, I'm always digging through their history books, trying to find something. And I did find something. So for college baseball, USC is the only team to ever three-peat as champions. In fact, they won five championships in a row in the 1970s. They won Dang. five in a row, Stoddard. So that they're the only team to do it in college baseball. The NBA, the Lakers did it. They did it in 1952 and 1954 when they were the Minneapolis Lakers. And then they also did it a couple times later. The Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls, they're also teams that have three beats. So three teams in a long history of the NBA. You know, the Chicago NBA Bulls, also, I would assume that was like MJ's time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. MJ's time. I knew I, MLB. I couldn't remember if he had gone three in a row or not, but I knew he had done at least two. Yep. MLB, the Yankees, that's kind of a given. The Yankees have three-peated as champions before. And then actually the Oakland Athletics did in the 1970s. Wow. But they are the only two teams that have ever three-peated as champions. And that league goes all the way back to 1903. So baseball's mm-hmm. been around for a very long time. I mean, it's, it's 120 years. Yeah. 
it's labeled as America's oldest pastime. Like that's what it's labeled as. That's what baseball is. It's it's a long, it's a history that is linked in in history. So in the NFL, no one, no one ever in NFL history has repeated as champions. I thought the Patriots did or got close. They got close to it. I thought the Patriots maybe had or the Packers way back when, but nobody since 1966 has ever repeated as Super Bowl champions. College basketball, UCLA did it. They're the only team since 19, 1939 to repeat. Wow. And then also in college football, as I said, only Minnesota. So this is a rarity stoddard across every single sport. In sports Special. in general, if you three-peat, you put yourself in an elite category among some of the greatest dynasties. We're talking about with the Los Angeles Lakers, with the Boston Celtics, with the Chicago Bulls, with the New York Yankees, those types of teams. That's what we're talking about when we say Georgia could three-peat. And that's why I'm of the belief that if Georgia does go on and win its third straight national title – they are, without a doubt, the greatest dynasty of all time. Because not only, and we kind of got into this in the last episode, and you you kind of disagreed with me a little bit when I said this, but I said, and especially if you do it now before you expand to 12 teams, because you're probably doing it at a time where it's going to be even more difficult for any team to win back-to-back because it's already really difficult to win back-to-back, as I just stated about how hard it is to do that. But if you do it three times in a row, I mean, goodness gracious, and you, it's, it'd be even more difficult to do it when you get even more teams in the playoffs fighting for that championship. So that is why I'm saying if Georgia wins three in a row, I don't care what you say about what Alabama did in the past, what Nick Saban has done, I get it. Nick Saban is the GOAT. He is the GOAT for a reason because he's done it for such a very long time. But, man, you win three in a row, that's GOAT status right there. That's, that's the greatest dynasty yeah. of all time right there. It's for sure GOAT status at that point, especially because, like you said, it's just one other team has ever done it in college football in general. Um, and it's got to be in in one of the most difficult times where the game itself is expanded the way that it has. Um, it's so difficult to do it. We've seen some incredible teams under Nick Saban at, at Alabama. He wasn't able to do it. He hasn't even been able to go back-to-back in the college football playoff era because that, like you were talking about a minute ago, has made it extremely difficult to be able to continue to do it. Um I do still kind of disagree with like, I I, I don't know. I'm kind of back and forth. I kind of talk myself in and out of it when we talk about like, will it be more difficult with 12 teams or is it more difficult now with four? Uh, It's more difficult to make the playoffs at this point. Yes. Um, Which is why I think it might be slightly easier when you're a 12, because as long as you're in the top part of it and maybe you get that first round by or something like that, you might get matched up in the first round with a team that's, way inferior to you and you kind of almost get you know a team kind of like TCU was in the national championship to Georgia where it's like they were a good team overall but do they really match up against the brass of college football and it's going to be interesting to see basically my point of why it might be easier to do it in the future is because it'll be easier to make sure you're in the playoffs even if you mess up and, and say Georgia were to drop a game in the regular season they would still be able to make the playoffs and potentially overcome that um, a lot easier moving forward. That's the only reason I say that. But yes, I agree. If you could do it right now or anytime in, in general, but if Georgia does it right now, it definitely puts them in GOAT status because nobody else can can seem to do this in college football like you were just listing all of those teams and all those sports and everything like that. It's extremely difficult college football being the most difficult basically. And can you imagine if Georgia does it right before they expand the playoffs? The last three four-team playoffs would be Georgia, and then it goes to 12 right after that. Georgia just breaks the system. That's why they went to 12. That's the narrative mm-hmm. I'm going to push. That's the narrative I'm telling I'm telling people 40 years from now. Georgia just broke the whole system. They had to go to 12 because they were tired of Georgia winning it all the time. Essentially, yeah. It's so, just, I, I think it's a fair assessment for you. To, I, 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 that's definitely a new perspective that I didn't think about. Of like you at least Like Georgia, you, you have to imagine that. From the time that Kirby Smart is head coach until that day comes to an end, Georgia's going to have a seat at the table in the college football playoff when it goes. They will to always be in twelve. They will. They will always, they will be, always be a top twelve team with the way that you recruit, with the way that you develop, with the amount of talent that you bring in every single year. You are always going to have a top twelve team because, and especially like because they've dominated the Eastern Division already as is. They may not have all the SEC titles to show for it or or anything like that, but they have dominated their side of the conference respectively. So they ha- they're already getting to the SEC championship on a regular basis. And if you're doing that, then you're a top 12 team in the nation already. So 
Absolutely. And that sense. So maybe the discussion we should be having is after, which it already will be, is if Georgia three peats, does that mean they're more likely already to become a four peat? <laughs> Could they be the first team oh ever to God. win four championships? They about to go on a run. Oh my of, gosh. Like the age. I, here's the thing. If they don't get Georgia right now, because like if Georgia does do that, right? The boost that you get in recruiting, because you have sustained success to the point that nobody else can say they've had. Nick Saban can never say that he's been able to do that. And he's he, he he's the greatest college football coach of all time. And he can't say that he's done that. Kirby Smart can say, hey, you see the roster we still have? We're, we're not done. They've now expanded it. We're going to be in the playoffs as a guarantee at this point. So just stick with us. And, and the, the amount of talent that's going to continue to come in, especially think about guys right now like Dylan Riola is still in the mix for Georgia. You start getting big names like that to come to Georgia after going three-peat or something, it, it's going to be insane to see the run that Georgia could theoretically go on. Now, college football is one of the, it's not it's not one of those things that anybody can win any given day. Uh, you Usually the better team wins for the most part in college football. It's not like college basketball, which has been fun to watch and it's been, you know, insane obviously so many upsets you don't really get that in college football so as long as they continue to make the playoffs the odds of them being in a semifinal again and possibly a national championship again in the next five years is extremely high with the the roster and talent that Georgia has right now and what they're bringing in in the next year or two as well well I think it's interesting that you hint at recruiting right there because you know, recently, the, or I don't know how recently this was. I don't know if this came out recently, but recently I saw where, you know, they polled like the top recruits in the nation and they asked him like, you've been on campus, you've been all across America, you know, you're a top recruit in, in the nation. You're going to be visiting a whole lot of schools. You're going to be going on campus to a lot of places, meeting a lot of coaches. Who has the best facilities? Who who has the best look? Who has the best eye-popping spot? in America. Who's the hot spot right now in college football? And all and the majority said Georgia. Georgia has the best facilities bar none. That, that it's it's in Athens right now. Peyton Woodyard when he did his interview with Brooks Austin over there on Dogsdale on his Patreon account, he mentioned that, man, when I went to Georgia, I just knew it. When I got into Athens, I knew like this is where I yeah. wanted to be. That's a four-star safety, one of the best safeties in the country. Plays at St. John Bosco, top recruit coming to Georgia and he said as soon as I got on campus, I knew this is where I wanted to be. And I, and I remember looking through, reading, listening through some interviews at the Under Armour Next event that happened about a month ago. And you're listening to all these guys and you ask them, like, you know, what, it, what are your thoughts on Georgia? Every single one of them, what, like, I don't even know if Georgia is heavily involved in the recruitment, but like they at least, Georgia's involved somewhere because they've either offered or they've looked at the kid, whatnot. But every time they mentioned Georgia and the player responded, almost every single one of them would immediately say, well, you know, they've won championships. That that That's what sticks out. They have an SEC championship and they have back-to-back championships. So, yeah, that obviously sticks out to Georgia, and that makes Georgia a valuable player in my recruitment because they're obviously winning throughout the top of the sport. So those championships already, just having championships alone gets you in the door. Those players have mentioned that it's proof. That, that gets you in the yep. door already. That catches their attention. Then you throw on, we have the best facilities in the nation. That opens another door for you. It, oh, it blows open the door almost at that point. If you can say, yeah, we got the best facilities in the nation. This is the best place to be right now. And then you have the best coach arguably right now in college football, right now in college football and Kirby Smart. So yeah, Georgia basically can pick whoever they want. And they get players nationally because you go down the list and you look at who they've recruited. They get kids from all across America. Xavier Trust is from Rhode Island. Darnell Washington's from Nevada. Peyton Woodyard, that's a kid from California. They've been in the mix for Deuce Robinson. He's another kid that's out West. They're in the mix for these kids that are out West. They got Brock Bowers from Napa Valley, California. You get kids from Kendall Milton from California. Kendall Milton from California. You already, Georgia's already loaded down talent wise from a high school standpoint with immense talent. That's why Georgia is so good because they can just kind of keep it within the state borders and they can bring in so much talent, proximity, home, all that good stuff. But they're still getting kids from all over the country. They just offered one of the top players in Idaho a couple days ago, wide receiver, burner, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing skill set. And so they're in play all across. Anywhere you go, any state you travel in, that Georgia G is there. That Georgia G is making an impact somewhere. So it, may, it, it holds that weight. Definitely holds the weight. Now, this is the question that's going to start coming up in that case, right? Like, nobody can argue with Georgia's success in the championships and everything like that. With the way that recruiting works now, the only thing 
that could still pull away from that type of argument is money. Because at this point in time with the NIL stuff and everything that we have, money and and those deals that they're promised make a big impact. So it'll be interesting to see. I personally still believe because, you know, even from playing high school baseball, you played high school sports, you wanted to win. And, and nobody, if you're a, if you're an athlete and a competitor, you you don't want to go somewhere and get paid a bunch of money and just lose when you're in high school, I did college that for age, in high school. Right? <laughs> you you don't want to go somewhere and just lose like that. You want to win. You want to be successful. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years how much of that still holds true. Of how much weight does it does it carry to say you're going to win here? I think the other thing that does kind of help Kirby counteract the argument of like, well, come make some money here. We've talked about this on the show before. Think about NIL deals. Come make some money here. You know, all that because we're going to give you these deals. Kirby Smart can still pull them aside and say, hey, we're setting draft records, by the way. Come here. We'll put you in the league and you'll make way more than you make off that NIL deal for a year or two in college. You'll make you'll, you'll get you'll get a contract in the NFL. You'll be on a roster. Yeah. Go in the ask NFL. Javon Walker That's how much at. money he signed for with his number one overall pick. Go ask him how big that signing bonus was. That's what he all can those say. first round draft picks that George yeah. has had and, and going to have again this year. Like after this year, dude, it's going to be ridiculous. The argument that like the the just amount of content or, or proof that George is going to have and say, hey. We will put you in the league. We continue to do it. Kirby's first full draft class that he had, a first full roster that he had that actually went to a draft class, wasn't it? Didn't it set a school record that year? Mm-hmm. Like the yep. very first. Then the next. Now he's got like fifteen players it's drafted last year, year. It seems like now. and and it's going to be the same kind of stuff this next year. Maybe not quite fifteen this year because there was some younger people on the team as a whole. Uh, I think there's less people that were draft eligible this year than last yeah. year. Um, all 15 last year were drafted. Everybody that was draft eligible was drafted last year. Yeah, I think that's there was only like important. 13 that declared this I year. I think so. I think you're right. 13 this year. So maybe not quite as much as last year, but that's just because they're not a, they're not eligible yet. They will mm-hmm. be next year. Check next year's draft and see what happens then. But this year, they're just not eligible. That's the only argument against you there. Yeah, no doubt. It's just, it is what it is. And so and now it's, you win three in a row and it just, the floodgates just keep flooding for Georgia. And it's and, and it almost would be super discouraging. It's already super discouraging that they won two in a row if you're another college football program. But if they win three in a row, it's like, what the F are we supposed to do to stop these guys? What the F can we do to keep Georgia and knock them off the top? Because prior to the championships, they were already recruiting at a top three level. But now it seems like they're recruiting – they're st- they've maintained that spot, but they're still getting more kids. They're still getting more interest from kids. And every single time that we talk to a kid, it's like, oh, yeah, but I really liked my visit from Georgia. They had some nice stuff going on over there. So they're re- really in the mix. I mean, you go down the list of any top recruit in the country, majority of them is going to have that Georgia G on that 247 yep. board of teams that are interested. That Georgia G is everywhere. It's across the nation. It's making an impact in every single recruitment. And it has to do with Kirby Smart staff working their butt off every single day. And because they care about these kids and they build relationships like nobody's business and they put in more work than anybody else in this freaking business. And if you're the obsessive are the successful, that's what someone once told me. The obsessive are the successful. And there's nobody more obsessive with being successful than Kirby Smart. And it's come to fruition now because you have two national titles and you're favorited to win a third in a row now, despite losing one of your one of your program's best quarterbacks in, in history because of what you do everywhere else and what you do yeah. during the offseason. So it's it's a lot of good stuff going on in Athens and the fact that you can be like in the fact that now because you know for the longest time every offseason it was almost a given that Alabama was going to be the favorite to win a national title. Every single right. year it was going to be I believe even last year after Georgia had won a national title, it was Alabama was favored they to started, win a national title. Yeah, and they started in the AP top, you know, twenty five at yep. number one, which and I so think now, Georgia should be number one this year to start the season, which doesn't yeah. really matter, obviously, but I would expect so. Yeah, and you know, Vegas odds are Vegas odds. At the end of the day, they really don't mean anything other than how much money are you going to make if that bet hits. That's all that really matters. But the fact that Vegas is holding Georgia to that level and they are pinning them at the top now. Speaks a lot about what's going on. They're putting their money on the line. That's what they're doing. They're definitely not stupid with their money. Vegas ain't stupid with their money. So they're doing that with for a reason for sure. Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps up the conversation there. Georgia is on the verge of making history and, in college football and basically just tearing the whole daggum thing down if they were to go win this next one. And then the continued success that they would have after that, I think, would be wild as well, especially in the expanding college football playoff and everything else that we've discussed in this segment as well. Make sure if y'all are still watching that you hit that like and subscribe button if you have not already on this video. That's what helps us get more viewers and give us, you know, it makes us happier to be on the air. Although we love being on the air anyways and love giving you guys content uh, anytime. But make sure you hit that like button if you have not already. Next part on our agenda, we got the inside linebacker room. And there is uh, there were some young guys there last year. This year, it's going to be exciting. This is one of the position groups that you actually have a little bit more experience at um, as a whole on your team. There's a couple places you have some experience, obviously, but this is one of them on defense where you actually have some experience, not a bunch of young guys, um, some people that were on the field a good bit last year and, and starters last year that'll be on the field again. Jonathan, let's kick it off with inside linebackers specifically. Well, you got two. You you almost have your two headliners of the defense in Javon Dumas Johnson and Smile Mondon. Like when when you think of Georgia's defense, when you think of the glue to that defense, it almost immediately goes to the linebackers because you go down the list of names and the names that you see are those are like those are almost always the first names that you think of when you think of those defenses. Like you know, Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean, Roquan Smith, Monty Rice, Tay Crowder. Those are the names that are floating around in that Georgia's realm. defense runs through their middle linebacker. One yeah. of the middle linebackers is the leader on that defense every single year. Yeah, it's just the focal point of that defense because they do so much for that defense and they're commanding so much as, as, as they have to command so much. And they're just oftentimes the highlight of that defense. And it's going to be the same thing this year. And Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson were impeccable for Georgia this past year. But the the reason why I think that this next year is going to be even better for them and why I think both of them could absolutely explode because these are Sunday guys. They're going to be playing in the league. So this is going to be more, more than likely is going to be their last year at the University of Georgia. But you go back and look at the history of Georgia's linebackers and the linebackers that have two, two full years of starting. When you look at their production and how they played and how they continued to produce and how they continued to develop, even when it seemed like they couldn't develop anymore. You know, Roquan Smith, he went from like, I want to say he had like around 94 tackles in 2016. And he bumped all he, he bumped that all the way up to like over 120 total tackles and like 13 tackles for loss, something ridiculous like that. But yeah. you go with anybody, this is, is the case for anybody. Monty Rice, Tay Crowder, the same thing. Their numbers climbed up the second year that they were tar- starters together. Same thing for Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean. Their numbers took a significant jump as a unit when they were yep. um, between 2020 and 2021. And now that you have Munden and JDJ, they put up solid numbers last year together as well. And they're going to do the same thing this year, and they're going to put up better numbers this year because they get a full year of development. And you have one of the best minds at coaching up linebackers and Glenn Schumann and coaching up that defense. There's nobody better in the business that can coach up linebackers than Glenn Schumann, and he's proven that. And it's why every single year Georgia's having linebackers drafted and their Sunday guys. At this point, they have earned that right to be labeled as linebacker university because they've had two Buckus Warder winners in the past two years, the first two in program history and Nicobe Dean and Roquan Smith. And there's a good chance that you have another one this year because Jamon Dumas Johnson was labeled as a semifinalist this past year. So there's a good chance that he's a finalist this coming year and he ends up winning the Dagum Award and gives you three in the last seven years, I want to say. So mm-hmm. good things in store for Georgia's linebacker situation, that's for sure. Yeah, and you're talking so much about those guys as well, but then when you look past them, you still got Ryan Davis, Xavier Sori, um, and then some young guys on the roster, CJ Allen and Raylan Wilson. It's uh, loaded down. Like it's it's loaded. Those are the young guys. Like I said, like you've got the experience and the talent at the front end as well. But that back end of it is and Georgia, what you do see there is you see people rotate in and out at you know linebacker and um mm. on that defense in general. Georgia's done that so much and so well over the past seven years with Kirby Smart that it's it's insane uh, how much. That's why when you see somebody go down on Georgia's roster that is a star and you go, dang, that's going to hurt. And then you go, well, dang, it might be late season. Well, geez, these guys, have they've been playing a good bit throughout the season. They've got some experience and they dang sure have the talent. So like you're not missing anything because of talent level. The guys behind them, I'm not saying at this position specifically. At some of the positions, the guys in, in the two and three deep, could te- like actually be more talented than the guys that are actually started. They just don't have the experience, and and they haven't got their feet under them in the college level just yet. So that's why they're not starting. But they'll still be on the field playing. 
this position and when we're at right now, I don't know that that's necessary. That might be true. Some of those guys behind them are going to be dudes in the next few years, but the two at the front are insanely talented. And those guys are definitely going to make some, some names for themselves this year. Um, I mean, they're both juniors. So it, theoretically could be the last year you get one or two of those guys if they have insane years that's the downfall to being where you're at now you got to look at these junior years of guys and go it could be the end of the era for them very likely, and you didn't yeah and it's it's you know one to two years of being a starter and you're like you you lose them so fast but it's it's worth it in the end because like i said you got so many talented guys behind them they'll step up be there for one to two years and be gone as well and guess what georgia continues to win like that and until somebody can you know stop them it's a great, great method at this point. Yeah, I think what's really intriguing about those guys that are behind JDJ and London is how fast they are because, you know, track times are more yeah. prevalent in recruiting than ever before in the history of the sport. It seems like anytime you hear about a guy that George is recruiting, there's some lineage to track or something yeah. like that of them running on the Georgia track. Georgia loves speed. They, they, they recruit love speed, them speed at every position. The- but these guys that they have coming up, like the Raylan Wilsons and stuff like that, the, these yeah. guys have put up Dude's some fast. ridiculous track times. And that's what's 100 really- meters? These guys are running 10-second 100 meters. I'm yeah. not kidding. Linebackers running 10-second 100 meters. That's insane. It, it is insane. And it's why – you know, you go. I go back to the, um, the Georgia Tech quarterback talking about playing Georgia's 2021 defense, and he said that they <laughs> made the yeah. field feel so much smaller because they covered so much space – and they were able to do so many different things because of how fast they were. And that's what Georgia has become. They've ju- they're just quicker than everybody else. Whether or not they're actually fast, like whether or not they're actually out here running 4-4-40s or whatnot, they at least are quick. intellectual enough to move first, move before yeah. anybody else does. You know, that was what Christopher Smith did so well during his time at Georgia is he was always moving before anybody else did. You know, Christopher Smith did not go out there and blaze up the 40-yard event at the Combine. He ran a pretty solid time, but he wasn't – he wasn't breaking records or at the top of the list when it came to his position group. But what he does really well is he's intellect. He's, he's a cerebral minded person and he studies enough film to know when he needs to move first and beat someone to the spot. And it makes him look quicker than anybody else on the field. That's what George is really good at. And especially Glenn Schumann with linebackers, he's really good at developing the cerebral side of things for a football player at linebacker because Georgia They do a lot of different things on defense. I was listening to Jan, Dan Jackson talk about this the other day where they were in spring practice, and he said, you know, one of the freshman safeties came up to me. He's like, man, I'm getting it. I'm starting to pick up this defense now. I'm starting, I'm starting to pick it up a little bit. And Dan was like, hold on, buddy. It's just been a couple of days now, so let's just hold on for a little bit because we got more coming for you. And So there's a lot going on in that defense, and they do so many different things, and they're, yeah. they're, they're not necessarily complex, but they make it appear that they're complex. And to do that, you got to have a lot of moving pieces, and you got to know where you're supposed to be and know your role. And Glenn Schumann does an excellent job of helping develop his guys into that, making them comfortable. In his, and they get to the point where they are comfortable enough to basically just go out there and play ball and be the athletes that you are because – you know, there's this thing of like, no matter how good of an athlete if you are, you are, if you're having to think before you move, you, you're slower. You are not yeah. the athlete that you truly are. You lose. So if a you're step. able, yeah, if you're able to really understand everything first before you go out there and really play, then you're able to just move first, and you're able to move fluidly, so where you're not thinking more because it's just natural instinct. Like you know this by now, you know it by heart. So that's what that's what, I think that's what Glenn Schumann does an excellent job of. Is he helps develop that early on in their careers to when it is time for them to go, they're just moving and they're doing things based on if based off instincts. And they're not having to think about it first. You're hundred percent correct on that. I've got two examples to give on that as well. Like one or two different sides of the coin, I guess, but one being somebody that wasn't quite as fast. You got to look at like a Nicobe Dean, even a Monty Rice, that kind of those type mm-hmm. of players, insanely talented guys, right? I mean, shoot, Nicobe Dean won the Buckus award. I mean, he, he's incredible. We know this. So, you, he didn't have that fat. I don't know what his 40 time was off the top of my head. I don't think he ran it. Did he not run it? He was, I don't think he ran a 40. He, he may not have, but I think actually, I think he didn't, but he was dealing with his injury at the same time. Um, and all that stuff was going on with him. So I don't know how much he actually did there, but he didn't, I don't think he did either, but I, I don't think it would have been a very impressive number. But the thing is he was always in the right spot. 
he always, like you said, he he knew that first step of his was always in the right direction. And so even if he was a hair slower than somebody else, he would still be there just as fast as the fastest guy out there because he knew where to go. He knew his keys and cues to read to know exactly what he should be doing. And that's what you get at Georgia. Like you were just saying, they, they coach it up like that. They make sure they get guys that are extremely smart. They get the intelligence. I mean, N'Kobe Dean was out of high school. He had a 4-0 in high school. They get mm-hmm. smart guys. Because yep. they that's they go for speed in one side, but then the other thing is they go for high intelligent individuals because of how complex that defense is, like you were just talking about a minute ago. That's extremely important. The other side of the coin that I was going to talk about is you also get guys like like Roquan Smith at Georgia that were like true sideline to sideline players. He ran like a four mm-hmm. five, if I remember correctly, uh, at the combine, which is fast for a linebacker. That is a really good time. Um, and he was so instinctual. That guy, I mean, he he would he would be starting on the the left hash and then meet somebody at the line of scrimmage on the right side of the line. It, it like off the end, off the tight end or something like that. He would make his it, the ground that he would make because he was so instinctual. He would always make that first step in the right direction as well. And he had insane speed to go along with it and just was probably one of the hardest hitting linebackers George has had um that I can remember. You want to know while. You, if you want to figure out how good a player was during his years, here's a true test of it, in my opinion, is if you can go back and watch their highlights repeatedly, no, like no matter how many times you've seen it, like if you're going back and watching it for the hundredth time and you're seeing it again and it still blows your mind that they were able to make that play or able to do that, that should tell you how good a player is because I've yeah. seen Roquan Smith highlights repeatedly, you know, ever since 2007, still since his career ended at Georgia. Every time I go back and watch his highlights, they still blow yeah. my mind. And every time, and every time I watch them, I walk away. I'm like, "Damn, that guy was good. Holy crap! He's good, he, he was just on another planet compared to everybody else's team. Like, especially on that field, because you know Georgia's defense 2017 really wasn't the best. It's it's nowhere near the level that it is now. So to have a player like Roquan Smith on that defense, it made him shine a little bit more. But that dude just stood out amongst anybody. He he was the headliner on the field yeah, no matter who he was going up against. He looked like the best player on the field every single day. He and he was. He was the the best guy on the field every single time you stepped out there on both sides of the ball. Like he was the athlete um that you would expect to have at Georgia at this point. He he just that's that's what Georgia's trying to get more guys like that. But he was, I think, a kind of honestly, he was about a generational type player um mm-hmm. at that position Absolutely. because he he's very special. And he's with the Ravens now, right? He went from the yep. Bears. He got traded to the Ravens. So um, obviously still following his career and excited to see what he does moving forward. But as a whole, this line, inside linebacker at Georgia, especially since Kirby Smart's been there, is not something that I've I've been concerned about. Like even last last year was probably the closest that we were like, quote unquote, like concerned about just because there were young, inexperienced guys. There's a massive There's amount of people you're losing on defense too. And yes. when you're losing a crucial piece like your defense, like guys that kind of yeah. hold down the fort for you, when you add that into you the You lost so well, many linebackers. Yeah. Oh my God, you lost so many linebackers. And yeah. uh, so that was one thing that we definitely were a little concerned about going into the year. And guess what? It was not even close to a problem. There was uh, there was very few no. times that you could look at and say, your, your middle linebackers really messed up there or they really yeah, screwed no. you over there. They, they weren't. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that these guys – that are at the back end of this depth chart, they, they will be okay when their number is called because they have that talent, especially if they get to sit there and absorb the system even longer and actually understand more of how complex that defense is and they have more time to really grasp it. Then they're extremely prepared when they actually step on the field and they don't get thrown to the wolves. Uh, and and But this year, I think you're in one of those years where you've got returning starters on both sides, the middle linebacker side, and... Um, you're you're going to have a, a really really good performance out of both of them. It may be the last time you get to see them at Georgia because, but they might come. Maybe they come back for a fourth year if they if they think they can improve their draft <laughs> stock and stuff like that. That's it's just going to be hard. It's hard at this point to get like really good players to come back for a fourth season. Yeah, I'll go ahead and tell you. I mean, Smile Mondon is going to be a first round pick. That that dude is freaky athletic. Yeah. He he's he off the charts athletically. He does he checks all the boxes for any NFL GM. That dude is freaky freaky. Now, Jamon Jimos Johnson, 
he's a guy that he's going to go, he's going to get drafted. He's going to get drafted high. I mean, he's just instinctual. He's really good at what he does. He's technically sound. He, he does all the right things for you, but he's just not as athletically freaky as like a Samal Mundum. But that's, yeah. a, that was kind of the same thing with Clay Walker and Nicobe Dean, you know, like people would probably say Nicobe Dean had the better career at Georgia and he was the, he was a more crucial piece at Georgia, but Quay Walker was the guy that ended up going in the first round. And that's kind yeah. of the same deal here. It's like, Jamon Dumont's Johnson probably looks like the better player more times than not on Saturdays, but Samal Mondon it just is he's just one of those avatars, man. One of those guys that seems like just he's made in the lab, not from this planet. He just checks all the boxes for any NFL GM. And we know how important measurables are for those guys. He'll test out of this world at the NFL combine. So Yeah, he will. I mean, we've seen a lot of Georgia players do that. Once they get there, they show off their actual athleticism and their their physical traits, and it's insane. Like, Nolan Smith absolutely was blowing away everybody when he got to get out there and show. And then he was talking on the Pat McAfee show, talking about he he hasn't even been fully cleared yet by his doctors. He's supposed to be cleared in the next week or two, he thinks – but he's not he's not cleared just yet for full like football stuff. So he wasn't even a hundred percent healthy when he went out there to that NFL combine and you saw what he was able to do. And yeah, he wasn't dealing with like a leg injury or anything. It was a pec, you know, he tore his pec and but as far as like any movement you twist your upper body and stuff like that, if it's hurting or it, you know, it kind of limits your mobility, it's gonna impact you. But he he said he wasn't fully there, but he sure looked like it. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think it's all worked out for him. It looks like he's going to get a, a good chunk of snaps this next year for Philadelphia with the Eagles and Jordan Davis now is going to be looking good. And so all those guys are going to end up working out well. And then it'll be exciting to see where these guys fall in the NFL draft in the upcoming year or in the coming month. You know, that's nearing, that's yeah, turning a corner month. real quick. That's coming up real fast. So we'll get to see where guys like Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, all those cats are going to fall in the draft. So, a lot of excitement going around the Georgia football program with spring ball continuing to go on, quarterback battles, position battles, position battles that we have continued to break down. Like this one, not necessarily a position battle like we have for, had for most of yeah. them where we said that there's a lot of guys fighting for spots. You kind of know who your two guys are at linebacker or at least middle linebacker this coming year. But it's it, it's just an exciting time to get to find out all those freshmen that came in who, who's continuing to develop and shining. There's been a lot of names thrown out there. So – A lot of excitement, but there is an exciting thing, and we're going to transition to our last and final segment right here, Stoddard, because I think this is going to be a good lengthy conversation, because whenever whenever you reminisce on your childhood, whenever you call back to your childhood, there's a lot of good memories that come to mind, and there's a lot to talk about, and yesterday... MLB the show, MLB the show 23 came out for, you know, for everybody. Everybody got gained access to it. And that's a game that you, you and I play together sometimes. And we play with our buddies sometimes on Saturdays or Friday nights or whatever. And we have a good time playing that. And it got me thinking, you know, I was excited about this game because, you know, I'm a big baseball fan, played baseball throughout my entire childhood. So I love baseball. So playing baseball games, of course, is something that I love doing. And it got me thinking about all the games that I loved as a kid. And then it got me thinking about all the games that I just really I had a strong love hate relationship with as a kid. And so today's King of the Hill segment is going to be all about your childhood and all about the video games that you played as a childhood. And there's going to be three questions that I'm going to ask you. And the first one is just simply like, what was your favorite game playing? What was your favorite like the game? Not necessarily maybe the game you played the most, but it was by far your favorite game playing as a kid. I used to love a game. Um, I, I obviously I played all of the sports games and stuff like that when I was growing up. So like all of the different ones. But I'm gonna do something that's a little off. Uh, something that people may not have even heard of. There's a game that was called Monkey Ball that I used to play the crap out of that game when I was a kid. Every time I went to my cousin's house, uh, we would play that for hours. We'd stay up all night playing that game. And um, it, it was, so it's just it's a monkey in a ball, literally in a ball, and you roll around like an obstacle course, and you're trying to get to the finish line oh, without okay. falling I off the map and everything like that. I was okay. a little lost for a second. If you haven't looked it up, y'all should look it up. It's still that is a game. great game. It's a great game. It's still available on the actual Xbox. You can still get it at this point. I think it's like one of the the backwards compatible games with the mm-hmm. uh, you know old ones. It's an original like 360 game. It's I think an original Xbox game and then 360. It's it's pretty old, but we played the crap out of that game. Um, a few other, I used to play, I, I was really, really big into the old wrestling games, like the WWE games. I never got into those. See, I, 
I had one friend that I grew up with that was like really, really into like WWE in general. So I would watch it when I was at their house. We'd always play these games. That would be one that we would get the game and we would play the whole story mode overnight. Like we would play the entire story mode and through the entire night. So it was crazy, but I don't really play that game that much anymore. I think I played the most recent one um, last year, but it was, it is pretty good, but it, it not quite like what it used to be when I was a kid. It never is. It's never no. the same. It's never quite like you remember it being. And I think for me, the game that I liked the most as a kid, you know, sports games is such an easy take because like that's uh, I played those games to death. But I honestly yeah. probably played Mario Kart on the Wii the most. Oh, dude. Out of every single game, I probably put in more hours in that game than any other game I played as a kid. I mean, I grinded my butt off in that game. Anytime it was on the weekend, weeknights, I was going downstairs playing Mario Kart, Googling how I can unlock all the characters, trying to beat my time trials, all that stuff. I was doing everything. So I think that was definitely the game I played the most. I played it with my sister. You played it with my, I played it with my friends all the time. Like we, we were just always playing Mario Kart, but it's, I don't know. There's a lot of games though for me that I, I kind of battle with that one about games I played a Mario lot. Mario Kart was a really good one uh, that I used to play. I, I played it on the GameCube back forever. I had ago, the N64 version, surprisingly. I know. I didn't Most people that probably one. like the 22 year old in the group had an N64. I did. I, I had, had Mario an Kart on N64. We had an N64 when I was a kid, but we didn't. I didn't have that game on there. We had like uh, on the N64, we had um, like Donkey Kong. Um, and some other, there was like an Olympic game. I can't even remember what it was called, but I remember we used to play that a good bit on there, but I, on the GameCube, I used to do it like what you're talking about, trying to unlock all the stuff and I would do it. So I'd play, you know, you would play through like 50 CC, um, hundred CC, 150 CC. And then there was like mirror mode on there. Mm -hmm. So you would play all the courses backwards, which was also on a fast Uh. speed. Um, so what I would do is I would go through and beat all of the the stuff and unlock every character on it. And then the GameCube was really cool. Now you don't really have these with consoles as much. You can do like a different profile maybe, but we'd have memory yeah. cards. So I would remove the memory card that I had everything beat on and put a memory card in there that didn't have anything on there. And then I would do it again. Like My boy I just, was sweating for oh, some, I was Mario sweating some Mario Kart back in the day, man. <laughs> I can say was, I never erased my profile. I, was, I just, I think once I, didn't I got erase to it. Un- like I had a, I, I kept it like on one of the memory cards. So I could always put it back in and, and use the characters and the stuff that I've unlocked. So I didn't want to get I, rid of it entirely. I think once I beat the game, I was just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to keep playing for fun now and beat the God tier player that I think I am every single day and just <laughs> pound some computer players every day. So get some enjoyment I'm, out of that. I really, really like story mode type things. And so like okay. if I, I like having like a goal to achieve. And so I like having the, all right, I need to unlock this or I need to beat this cup now to get this character. And and I got to go through all of these levels again. So I used to love doing that because it was like a story mode for me. And so that's, I, and then I would get bored if I kept, the reason I did it that way is because if I kept just racing the same races that with no actual goal, I'd get kind of bored. Like I, my, my attention span was like, I mean, for sure what am I trying to win at this point? I'm going to beat a computer that I know I can beat. I can do this all the time. And you didn't quite have online GameCube back then. So that no. wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't quite what you were doing. So it was like, and I knew I could oh, beat dude, my it, siblings it, and stuff like that. So like, it wasn't, I know there is some version of it now, but if like multiplayer Mario Kart was a bigger thing, like on the Wii, when I had it, I, my parents would have never seen me. Probably oh. I would have been in my basement 24 yeah. seven playing Mario Kart. All right. The next question I want to ask is this kind of goes hand in hand a little bit, I guess, with the game you played most, but I want to know the game you grinded the most, the game that you just put it, you poured in so many hours and you grinded trying to level up. Like you put in so much time and effort in that game. It almost felt exhausting probably at some points, but you just couldn't put it down because you were so dedicated to reaching the max level or whatever it was. That's a hard one. Cause like I I just kind of named a few that I played probably the most too. Like I, I loved them. They were so good, but I played It's honestly kind of the same answers um that i would play through like probably mario kart was one that i i I, that might be the game that i grinded the most like i said just because i would go back and erase stuff um i used to try like back a long time ago i was more into like the call of duty games and stuff than i am now Um, and i used to like i used to sit there like back in like the modern warfare two days and stuff and i would try to prestige so playing Mm -hmm. online i would try to prestige and do all that and that one i used to spend a good bit of time on because that was once again it was like a goal right like to get that prestige level um it was always so difficult to climb for me because I wasn't the best player at that game. That's that was not a game that I was extremely good at, but if I played enough. I could get there kind of thing. So I used to play that one a ton. Uh, I'd say that that might be the one that I grinded probably the hardest at. Man, for me, Call of Duty, without a doubt for me, but it was, it was Black Ops 2 for me when I was in sixth grade. 
me and my buddy, my uh, a guy I'm still friends with today, still play Call of Duty with to, to this day, actually still. Black Ops 2, man, for that game, him and I on weekends, like Saturdays, we woke up at 9 a.m. and we were on the game until midnight, literally, just nonstop. Like, you take breaks to go get some Doritos or you go make <laughs> some ramen noodles or whatever, and you're back on the game. I mean, we played it all day. I think by the end of it, I had put in like 32 days of time in that game. By the time like I was officially dead, the game was yeah. no more. Like, I held on to I squeezed every bit out of I, that I could of that game. Like I was playing it at like four years after it was released and just continuing to play it. And man, that, that game, one of the all time greatest games, in my opinion, I love that game to death. I have some great memories on the game, but I grinded so hard on that game. So hard. And I'd like to think I was pretty good. I don't know if I actually was, but I felt like I was pretty decent. I know I wasn't good at call of duty. I still, that's why I don't play it as much now. Cause I know I'm not good. And I'm at the age where like, it's no longer acceptable to not be like, good when you're playing with people at this point everyone's like all right you played this game for a long time it's the, it's still call of duty i just i stopped playing it probably for like so many years yeah. that i really got out of it and so like now it's like almost starting over i can st- like it's not completely gone but like when i play it i feel like all right i don't know what the heck i'm doing i gotta figure this out again learn the maps and all that kind of stuff and now they've changed everything with like the war zones and stuff like that and it's just it's a it is I feel like it's a very different game than what it used to be. It's changed a lot for yeah, sure. It, it's, it's changed it's a lot. A lot more complex. Yeah. Um, and so I think I just have to actually spend I gotta grind it again, right? Like I gotta get back gotta into it and it actually again, play man. the heck out of it again and get through it. But uh at yeah. this point I'm I'm mostly into games like you know, we were talking about MLB the show twenty three. Those are always fun. Uh, well, I'm glad you brought up sports games. I'm glad you brought up sports games because I think this, that's where these are going to come into play for this next question. What was the game that made you rage the most? Oh, because dude. I I had some horrid moments as a kid where I got so bad, my mom would come downstairs and tell me, get off the freaking game. Like, that's enough. Like, it's, it's time to lock this up and you need to go do something else. This is ridiculous. That was 2K for me. Oh, my mm. God, that was 2K for me. That game is probably the most frustrating sports game of all time because – like while you're building your character, like in, in the show or in Madden and stuff like that, your character's got a lower overall. You can still kind of overcome that in different ways. But like if your shot's not there in, in NBA, it's just not there. And so like mm-hmm. you can have a good release and just be missing everything. So the frustration level for me gets so high um, because I like to like, I like my character to be good. I like to be gaining oh, a lot yeah. of like VC and all that kind of stuff to be able to upgrade. Yeah. And I, I, for me personally, oh I never wanted to be one of those guys that put in even more money into the game than I never, already paid for. Ever, it. So ever, I ever. was not one of those guys spending money on VC or whatever the currency is in the game to make my player better. I would, I wanted to just do it on my own, but it's it's hard to do it in 2K. It really is. It's it's really 2K is definitely a game for me. I remember this time. This was recently. This may be a little embarrassing now that I'm telling this. Even as a 20 year old, or as a 20 year old at the time, I was still raging at video games. I remember I was playing 2K up here in my room and. I was getting pissed off at whatever was going on in the game, and I was pounding my fist on my ar- <laughs> on the armchair on the arm side of my chair. And my roommate texted me like, "Dude, are you good? Like, what's going on up there?" I was like, "I'm playing 2K, dude. I'm sorry. Like, I've, I'm, I mean, I was pounding my oh, that chair. game. I was that so game pissed. is the most frustrating sports game Absolutely. to play. I promise you. Like, even I, I will say this: like the MLB the Show is if you play it on a decent difficulty, it can get frustrating because you're you feel like you're making good contact and stuff, and you're just getting out. That's how baseball works in general too. Baseball in general um, is frustrating. Yeah, baseball can be frustrating in general because I mean your success rate, right? Like it having a 300 batting average, I mean, that's three out of 10 that you're getting a hit. And so you get out a lot. So it is frustrating like that. The reason I feel like it's not as frustrating as 2K is, is because in the show, those games go so quick, man. Like Mm -hmm. you can kind of like, you might go 0 for 4 in that game. It's over in such a short period of time nowadays because you can literally just kind of sim to your next at bat or sim to your next like fielding opportunity. Those games can be over in you know, less than 10 minutes most Those of the basketball time. basketball games, though, they take some time. <laughs> they take 30, 40 minutes of me just getting frustrated and frustrated because my shot is not there in that game. Getting so you can't, you can't wipe it away. Overalls and yeah. just it's getting stonewalled oh, by freaking God. scrubs out there on the court. It's, it, it is hellacious, man. That is super frustrating. I think for me, I don't know what made me rage the most or like a single game that made me rage the most. Honestly, probably Call of Duty. Call of Duty is definitely up there. Those were definitely moments where my mom had to come turn my Xbox off and tell me to get the heck outside and go touch some grass. Oh, those those chats could that they used to. Get oh, I was the squeaker with the connect mic. So I was already getting crapped on enough as a 12 year old playing yeah. on Xbox on Xbox Live. So 
if you're having a bad game, the people on your team are about to let you know. And so it just makes your frustration level get even higher and higher. Oh, my God. But I remember specifically, I don't know what the game was called or anything, but so me and my um, a friend I grew up with lived right behind me in my neighborhood. So we were always hanging out over the weekends and we were ultra competitive as two little boys. And we, there was this one baseball game and I don't remember what it was called. It may have been one of the 2K games, but it was on the Wii. And for some reason, my, my I had a friend, my friend was the type of friend that when you played a new game, he did not tell you the controls. He just made you figure <laughs> them out for yourself. And that man waxed That's me every up. single time we played That's that game up. and waxed me and waxed me every single time. And I would get so heated at him. Like we, it gets to the point where we just tossed down the Wii remotes and we were tossing hands on the floor probably <laughs> like most of the time. That's how bad it got. So there's a lot of Dude, sport we, games moments like that as friends where it's did like, you ever man, play, did you ever try to play like Madden on the Wii? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awful. That's awful. The graphics one were so bad. Nintendo's graphics were not made for a game like that. Um, They're made for your Mario Karts and things like that because they they just aren't made for you. I had like a 10-year dynasty with the Detroit Lions on Madden 11 or something like that. It was when Matthew Stafford got there. And as a kid, I was like, oh, I want to play Matthew Stafford. And they had Calvin Johnson. And I had like a 10-year dynasty with the Detroit Lions for some reason. awful. On the Wii? Yeah, Yeah, on the Wii, dude. Dude, the Wii was so bad. This is when they changed to like the cartoony graphics to where yep. they made it try to look a little bit better on the Wii, but it still looked like absolute yep. garbage. Like, it was so man, bad. What a dark time. But as a kid, I didn't care. Like, you know, graphics did not matter to me as a kid. I just wanted to play Madden. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I told you this was going to be a lengthy conversation. I knew I, su- I knew as soon as That's I brought this one. topic up, we were going to do a deep dive into our childhood and really reminisce and have, look back to, on some dark. Y'all times. got to learn about it. Like, I got to like you, y'all got to learn y'all got about to find our, out our deep, dark secrets. Yeah. Y'all got, y'all got to learn about our childhood a little bit today. Yeah. Well, so hopefully bad. you know bad. us now. If you were new, you learned a little bit more about us. That's kind of the goal sometimes about King of the Hill is you guys kind of get to get to know us a little bit, know our opinions, kind of know where we come kind from and what topic. our upbringing was look like. So for us, it was a lot of Mario Kart and a lot of Call of Duty is what it sounds like. But that is going to do it for this week's episode, guys. If you are still here listening to us ramble on about video games in the offseason, we appreciate you. We do it a little bit more informal here during the offseason because we try to make content a little bit more fun and just have some typical casual conversations and some get-to-know-you type things. So we hope you guys still enjoy that. We had some great content earlier in the episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed that as well, talking about linebackers and why George is on the verge of reaching GOAT status. We appreciate all you guys in the comments that were here. Robert, Zach, Morgan, Harrison was in here a little bit, and some other people that we we appreciate all of you guys for always showing up for us, always supporting us, joining in on the conversation. We appreciate every single bit of the support and all you people that, of course, watch later on as well. Make sure, though, before you head out that you hit that like button and that subscribe button and even that bell down there. It'll tell you when we go live and you already yeah, know. You don't sure. have to depend on our Twitter account. You'll just get a nice little notification on your phone that tells you the boys are live and you can come over here and join us live. So do all that good stuff for us. Keep supporting us. We love you guys and we appreciate you. And Stoddard, you can close us out. As always, we love you guys. Keep it classy in the classic city. and We will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, to the superwords, which express the sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation.